messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the convent whom you will desire, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he, when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or laundry's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the labits and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who have praised the widows and the fatherless and deprived the foreigners among your justice. But do not fear me, said the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please can I invite you to stand if you're able as Anita brings our gospel reading this morning. The gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 2 to 40. You can find it on page 1028. Hear the gospel of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus presented in the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping, in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. 
and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord, as we gather in your name, may we know your presence and hear your word. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, when Daniel was talking to us about Isaiah and John the Baptist, he talked about films and film trailers. And it got me thinking about a film trailer that when I first saw it in the cinema was one of the most exciting things I'd ever seen in the cinema. It started fairly low-key, with some atmospheric music, some images of strange, exotic worlds. And interspersed between the images were some captions. Every generation has a legend. Every journey has a first step. Every saga has a beginning. As each message appeared, the anticipation grew. I was thinking, is this what I think it is? And just in case I wasn't sure, that final caption was accompanied by a faint but very distinctive sound. Then, bam! The big familiar fanfare. Spaceships, aliens, lightsabers. It was, of course, the trailer for Star Wars Episode I. The first in a trilogy of prequels to my favourite childhood films. Prequels have become very popular in Hollywood. When there's a story you love, when there are characters you care about, there's something quite exciting, I think, about going back to the beginning and seeing where things all started. You'd think that knowing the ending would ruin the story, but it doesn't always. Sometimes knowing the ending just adds to the anticipation. What's interesting is the journey. How did it get to that ending? How did Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader in Star Wars? That's why I think the Christmas story has such a hold on our imaginations. We know that the word became flesh. We know that Jesus lived among us and healed and taught people. We know that he was crucified, that he died and was buried. We know, most importantly, that Jesus rose again. We know that he did all this to save us from our sins. But we want to know how God came into the world. Where does the story of Jesus begin? Of course, where the story of Jesus begins is an interesting question. Each of the four Gospels takes a different approach. Mark's Gospel begins at the start of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist prepares the way and baptises Jesus. Then straight away, Jesus starts to proclaim, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew and Luke take us back further to the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story. They both also present us with a genealogy, a family tree, to show how Jesus fits into the story of the Old Testament. John takes us back even further. John's Gospel begins with the first words of Genesis, in the beginning, reminding us that the story of Jesus is the story of the relationship between God and us, which began at the dawn of time with the creation of the universe. John reminds us that the whole Bible contains the story of God and humanity. But there's a reason why the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old and New Testaments. 
while the birth of Jesus is part of a plan and part of a relationship between God and us that stretches back to the beginning of time, it is also quite clearly the start of something new. Today's readings are interesting because they make that bridge between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New. We begin with Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, the last of the Old Testament prophets. The name Malachi means my messenger. And like the other prophets before him, Malachi brings God's message to God's people. As usual, God's people have been complaining. They've been complaining, among other things, that God has not punished those who do evil and has not accepted their sacrifices. They have been complaining that God has not kept his promises and asking, where is the God of justice? If you read a lot of the Old Testament, this is a familiar story. Nearing the end of the Old Testament, some 960 pages into our church Bibles, God's people are still complaining. You might think, don't they ever learn? Then again, have we learnt? Don't we sometimes ask, where is the God of justice? Don't you often still hear people say, if God is good, then why does this happen? Malachi responds to these questions by reminding people that it is they who have broken their promises to God, not the other way round. Like the other prophets before him, Malachi brings the message that God's promises are true. Malachi prophesies that another messenger will come to prepare the way before the Lord, and that the one the people are waiting for will come to the temple. Malachi's message is the last in the Old Testament. And then the prophets fall silent for about 400 years. About 400 years. What happens next is familiar to us. Knowing how the next part of the story will unfold doesn't ruin our enjoyment of it. It only heightens our anticipation. But it does mean that it can be easy to miss things. It can be easy to miss how surprising it all is. If you'd only read the Old Testament and knew nothing about Jesus, what would you be expecting to happen next, I wonder? If you'd read all the prophecies about a Messiah and a King, about one who would come like a fire to refine or like a soap to cleanse. In the opening of Luke's Gospel, we see God working in some really quite extraordinary ways in the lives of some really quite ordinary people. We see the prophecies of the Old Testament starting to be fulfilled in ways we could never have expected if we weren't already familiar with the story. First, we meet Elizabeth and Zechariah, an elderly couple who were pitied and judged in equal measure by a society that views childlessness as a punishment for sin, but who nevertheless are steadfast in their faith. God grants them a child in their own old age, and that child will grow up to be the messenger Malachi spoke of, John the Baptist. Then we meet Mary, a young girl pledged to be married to a carpenter named Joseph. Joseph is a descendant of King David, but about as far from any traditional concept of royalty as it is possible to be. An angel tells Mary that she will give birth to a child, and that child will be the great king the prophet spoke of. But while Mary is heavenly pregnant, the couple are forced to go on a difficult journey to the town of Joseph's ancestors, because the land they live in is occupied by a foreign military power, and the ruler of that power, Caesar Augustus, 
has ordered a census. And so it is that the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, as the prophets foretold. But because there is no room for them at the inn, the baby spends his first night in an animal's feeding trough. And his first visitors are not priests or nobility, but a band of scruffy shepherds, feared and mistrusted by most townsfolk because of their reputation for crime and antisocial behaviour. That brings us to our second reading today. Forty days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple in Jerusalem. And so another part of Malachi's prophecy is fulfilled. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. But if the people are seeking Jesus, it's not very evident. Most people there don't even notice him. And why should they? This is just an ordinary-looking child with ordinary-looking parents. They have come to the temple to fulfil the requirements of the law as set out in the Old Testament. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, according to Exodus, to commemorate the Israelites escaped from Egypt when the firstborn sons of Egypt were slain, but those of the Israelites were spared. Mary and Joseph also offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Actually, the part of Leviticus Luke quotes doesn't quite give the whole story. Leviticus 12 actually says that a mother should bring a year-old lamb and a young pigeon or dove as an offering. It only later adds, but if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons. Mary's offering is a sign of her poverty. It is a routine and unremarkable offering. And the presence of this couple and their child goes largely unnoticed. Largely, but not entirely. There are two people in the temple who notice the child and see in him something that others do not see. The first is Simeon. Simeon is one of those, like Elizabeth and Zechariah, Mary and Joseph, who has not lost faith in God's promises. God has promised Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the one the prophets spoke of. And so Simeon was watching and listening and waiting. And when Jesus was brought to the temple by his parents, Simeon was drawn towards him. And when Simeon saw Jesus and took him in his arms, he knew that the Lord's promises to him had been fulfilled. And he praised God and prophesied. Simeon understood God's message, that God's people would be glorified because out of them would come one in Jesus who would save not just the people of Israel, but all people, everywhere. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Mary and Joseph were amazed at Simeon's words, and Simeon blessed them. But his words to Mary might not seem like much of a blessing. He prophesies that people will talk against Jesus, and that Mary's own soul will be pierced by a sword. There is a hint of sadness in the joy of the fulfilment of God's promises. Simeon certainly doesn't suggest that the path ahead will be easy. And there is some sadness for him too in the fulfilment of God's promises. Now that he has seen the Lord's Messiah, he knows his death is near. The second person to see something in Jesus that others do not see is Anna. Anna is a prophet. 
She is very old, and her life has been touched by tragedy. Widowed after seven years of marriage, she has lived the rest of her life in the temple. It has been a life devoted to God. But it has been a life lacking in human company and comfort. But like Simeon, she is faithful and obedient to God. And like Simeon, she could see in Jesus what others could not see. A light that shines in the darkness. Anna too gives thanks to God and speaks about this child that God has sent to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. We're only in the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. But if you'd only read the Old Testament, you might already be thinking that this is not the kind of triumphant king you were expecting. What strikes me about the people we meet in the early part of Luke's Gospel, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Mary and Joseph, Simeon, Anna, is that although we're not told much about them, they're so real, so human, so easy to identify with. They have struggles. They face pain and sadness and hardship. But the most important thing is that they do not face it alone. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. A light shines in the darkness. This is just the beginning of the gospel. We know what happens next. We know about the stories Jesus told and the miracles he performed. We know about the pain and suffering of the crucifixion and the joyful triumph of the resurrection. But what about after that? What happens next in the story of God's relationship with us? When we look at our own lives and the lives of those in the world around us, it can be easy to ask, as the people of Israel did, where is the God of justice? The answer, of course, is right here with us. Amen.